Welcome to the Run Run Live 3.0 podcast, where we celebrate the transformational powers of endurance sports. Tis the happy song. Sorry. Hello, my friends, and welcome to episode 3-252 of the Run Run Live podcast. Hope everyone enjoyed their Saturnalia and winter solstice celebrations. We have a great show for you today. I have a conversation with Zoe Romano, a young woman from Maine who decided, as a young woman, to run across the USA unsupported. So you and I have been witness to a few of these run-across-the-USA stories, I rather like them, and many times they do it for charity or to call attention to something. But really, what fascinates me is the people like Zoe who just sort of decide to go. One day they wake up and they want to run across the USA, and I'm fascinated with the psychology. And and try to get into this with her in today's discussion. I think you'll like it. I mean, what's stopping any of us from pulling up stakes and going? What is this wild wanderlust in all of us? I think you'll enjoy it. I did. I also have a practical piece on heart rate training and continue building the Finding Balance series with a foundational piece on understanding and defining self. I hope these pieces don't come off as too deep or instructional or, or, I don't know, weird. I feel that it's necessary for me to share the context, some contextual pieces for my life balance thoughts so you can see the logic tree behind what I'm talking about. And it's intended to be thoughtful and helpful, so please take it as such. It's been an interesting few weeks for me since we last talked, and as I speak to you here in New England, I have about 8 inches or 20-something centimeters of snow on the ground, and it got down to 0 degrees Fahrenheit last night, and that would be around minus 18 degrees Celsius. And we are past the winter solstice, and theoretically, the days are now getting longer, but practically, we are in the grips of the deepest part of winter. It is throw another log in the fire and another blanket on the bedtime. And these are the days when it helps to have body hair, like like Buddy and I do. I've been training. Coach has me doing six workouts a week, three of them as long runs, And I've been doing all my runs on the forgiving surface of the trails, but this is becoming quite challenging with the snow. Buddy and I had to break trail this week after the snowstorm and could only manage 11-ish miles in 2 hours and 15 minutes. It's still a great workout, but at some point it becomes nonspecific to my running goals because the form and effort is so different. So I've got to start gradually moving onto the roads and onto the treadmill to see if my foot can stay or remain relatively pain-free. And to catch you up on this foot thing, I have been distance running my whole life. With an expansion of this hobby, this obsession into marathons and longer distances over the last, oh, 15, 20 years, and I've run 30-something marathons, including 14 Boston marathons, and I just love it. I love the distance. I love the time in the woods and the roads. But I also love the training and the lifestyle. And I like to put in the effort and to run respectfully. 
So over the last, oh, well, almost two years now, I have been laid low with a persistent plantar fasciitis. And this is a debilitating heel pain that prevents me from doing any quality road work, any quality effort, any long miles. But our story does not end here. Our restless and resolute and resourceful hero has nursed his battered old machine back up to three runs a week and is going to run this year's Boston Marathon for Team Hoyt. And one of my goals this year is to requalify, which is very much attainable for me, given my decrepit age. My qualifying barrier is not that high. But in order to do it, I'm going to have to be able to get some quality training in, which is the challenge. So I'm easing into some road work, and every day... I deep massage the injury to break up the scar tissue, and it's an active recovery strategy that seems to be working. I do all my core workouts in bare feet now, so when I'm in the gym weightlifting or whatever, I'm in bare feet to strengthen those feet, and I spend as much time in my socks as possible when I'm in my office and when I'm working uh, to strengthen those beautiful feet of mine. So I ran the Hangover Classic 10K with my daughter on New Year's Eve. uh, I'm sorry, New Year's Day but at her pace, and so fairly, fairly slow, zone two for me. And we dove into the Atlantic Ocean afterwards, as is our tradition, and it was just around freezing out with a strong wind, and the water temperatures were in the mid-30s. Some folks think we're crazy to go in the ocean on the 1st of January, but I like to think of it as an exclamation point on the old year and a kickoff to the spring training season. I've been working hard in the gym on my core workouts. I try to visualize. Here's a tip for you, a couple of tips for you. When you're doing those core workouts and you know you hate doing your core, you just want to run. You don't want to do the gym workouts. This is very common with the coach. People will say, well, I did the runs, but I skipped the the sit-ups or the push-ups or the weightlifting. Well, what I try to do to keep my head in it is I try to visualize that last (laughs) half mile of the Boston Marathon. I try to visualize that crushing fatigue and pain of turning onto Boylston Street in that last mile of the marathon and imagine how much stronger and better it'll be in that moment if I commit to my core and don't slack and put the effort and the intensity and the focus into it. And here's another time-saving quick tip for you. When you're going to the gym or the club or wherever to do your workout, make getting there part of your workout. So I used to like bicycle and stuff and run to the gym to do my workouts when I was doing triathlons. But even if it's just a a two-minute walk to the gym or from your car, don't stroll. Don't lollygag across the parking lot. Jog into the gym and it'll save you five minutes of warm-up time. So now let's focus on this set of exercises. On with the show. Are you hungry? Here's some food for thought. It all starts with self, an exercise to find out what makes you tick. If you ever want to see people look like deer in the headlights, ask them to define themselves. Most people focus big buckets full of energy outwards, but never set the anchor and build the foundation of self-definition. You're going to be inundated by goal-setting exercises for the new year very soon, if you're not already. Setting goals can very well be a waste of time and energy unless you understand what drives you, what makes you happy. 
we talked last time, last episode, about a framework for life balance. This framework attempted to let you visualize the balance between work, health, family, and your spiritual life. But even this does you no good unless you have a way to measure how you allocate your energy and your time and whether or not this allocation is aligned with your underlying self. So until you understand what drives you, what makes you happy, and what makes you unhappy, all these tactical steps are nothing more than rearranging the deck chairs on the Titanic. So how do you discover what your self is? And you you can see the air quotes, right? (laughs) How do you uncover what drives you? Well, good news. I have an exercise for that. There's an app for that. We humans are very good at deciphering patterns. Indeed, we often see patterns where none exist, but that's a story for another day. Today, we're going to talk about laying out your life and looking for patterns. And as a businessman, I'm often involved in hiring, firing, assessing. One of the things you learn in assessing people, whether a job applicant or yourself, is to look for the patterns. When a hiring manager asks you questions, they're looking to establish patterns. We can use the same assessment methodology to help you assess your self. I want you now to get a big piece of paper or open a spreadsheet or Evernotes or whatever you're comfortable with and brainstorm every major occurrence in your life that you can think of or remember. Make a column and list in no particular order every large or small event that you can remember from the time you were born to today. List out all your jobs, list out all your sports, list out all your major life events, list out all your major relationships, list out your transitional moments, list out those events that would fall on the best thing that ever happened to me, or the my favorite day list, but also enumerate the bad things, the worst I've ever felt, and the I hope I never have to live through that again list. Go ahead, do it. Take a week, if you need to. Get a good sample. I'll wait. Okay, now, (laughs) in a second column, I want you to answer the question, what are you most proud of from that job, relationship, event, whatever is in the first column? What made you feel great? What caused you to rejoice? And if it was a challenge, how did you deal with it? Are you proud of that? Are you proud of the resulting personal growth? What are you proud of in that event, in that list? In a third column, I want you to answer, what did you dislike about that job, relationship, event, etc.? What made you feel awful? What were your challenges? What made you sick? What was the biggest challenge for you? How did you handle it? What did you wish you could get back and do differently? Now, in the next column, I want you to comment on the people who were involved, because there's always people involved in these events and things like that. And if I ask those people, who were involved in these events and these relationships with you. If I asked them about you and that situation, what would they say? What would they say about you? What would they recommend you? Would they say they were your friend? How would they describe you? How would you want to be described? And I know some of these life events have the potential to trigger great emotions for those of you who are wired with great emotions and great empathy. And I'm not asking you to relive any of this stuff. I'm asking you to be a librarian, to be a researcher, 
The subject of this research just happens to be you. If it helps, you can write in the third person as if you are describing someone else and someone else's emotions. This is purely an intellectual exercise, not a therapy session. Take as much time as you'd like with this exercise and make sure you get a big enough of a sample set to be able to drive and uncover some patterns. And set it aside when you're done. Give it a couple of days to breathe. And let me stop right here and assure you that I know this is really hard to do. And it's especially hard because, particularly, we don't have a very good perspective on ourselves. And if you can get this exercise with someone else, it's really good with a partner. If you have someone who can ask you the questions outlined above in, like, an interview format and walk you through the list, and the list-building exercise provides a really good third-party balance. So, And I know it's hard but it's worth the effort. So give it a try. Even a partial list, even partial answers will be useful. So, right, you ready now? (laughs) Now we got this list of all these events and how they affected you. Now we go looking for the ghost in the machine. So open up your masterpiece of autobiography. What we have done here is to pump a black box. The black box is you. We can't see inside the box to understand the mechanism directly, but we can feed inputs into the box, and we can look at and measure the resulting outputs. And in this way, we can derive what the machinery is that lies inside the box, which is you. So read through your list slowly, thoughtfully. Look for patterns. What situations did you consistently excel in? What circumstances brought you joy? What, Where were you consistently successful? How do you define and recognize success? What situations were consistently ruinous for you? Why? What events made you happy and why? What relationships made you happy and why? And from this, you should be able to derive the parameters of your self. And when I go through this exercise, or a similar one, I find that I discover I get a big rush out of situations where I can have controlled adventure. And I succeed as an individual contributor, but also I succeed by helping others succeed as a leader. I have consistently been most successful when I take big risks that scare the hell out of me, especially with my career, and put myself in a position of sink or swim. That's where I'm successful. And I very much enjoy creative acts, as you know, speaking and writing. And I'm driven, and I'm easily bored, but I'm also fairly self-destructive when I'm afraid. And I won't bore you with my details, because this is not therapy. But suffice to say, I have a fairly good handle on who I am and what makes me tick now. And as you read through your list, look for the patterns, and write down in one word or bullet form, what those patterns reveal, what they are. For example, write the word adventure or safety, or you might write the phrase helping people or learning new things, whatever it is, and sit back and take a deep breath and close your eyes and breathe and open your eyes and read that final list of output, your list of words and bullets. It's okay If some of these things are apparently in conflict, you may have adventure and safety written down in the same list, for instance. I do. You're smart enough to realize that these things are applied in degrees and are somewhat situational. 
When you use your list, you'll have to figure out the precedence of drivers for specific situations. Now, here you have a way to measure your life goals and success factors. So go back to the previous discussion about life balance. How should, how will you allocate your time and energy so that it aligns and supports the things on this list? And if your life balance is not aligned with your internal drivers, your internal drivers, yourself, then there will be negative tension and you'll feel that in your life. And finally, let's bring it all the way back around to your new year goal setting. Your goal gurus are going to tell you to set measurable goals, blah, 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 blah. You can do better now because you have a foundation. Look at your life balance chart. Select one, two, three, five goals in each area of your life balance diagram. These will be specific outcomes that you want to achieve in your life, in areas of work, in health, family, spiritual, and self-development. And the rule now is that these new goals must align with that list of self-drivers that you came up with, and these goals should increase the fullness or depth of that area of your life balance. Now you will not only have goals, but you will have genuine reasons or whys for each one of them that tie directly back to your definition of self. Cool, huh? Plato, or Socrates, one of those guys, is reported to have said that a truly wise man knows that he knows nothing. And keep that in mind. There are no definite answers in the discovery of self. That is a journey only you can make. This is a never-ending research project, but I can assure you that if you go through this exercise, you will definitely learn something about yourself. Feel free to send me comments or questions, and next time we're going to discuss my fascinating theory, the system theory of self for you engineers. Happy New Year. And now for today's featured interview. My voice is a little weird this morning because I, I ran a relay race yesterday. And, of course, that involves a lot of screaming. Yeah, for your teammates. Yeah. And plus I raced, which I haven't been racing a lot. I've been, I, you know, I've been running, but I haven't been racing. And it, it didn't take me long to realize there's a big difference between racing on the road and just being out and enjoying yourself. Oh, yeah. It's a lot of... A lot more pressure when it comes to racing. Yeah, a lot, a lot different stress. Like your form's totally different. So you're, it's almost like you're doing something you haven't done for a while, you know. And yeah. I, and I'm sore because of it. <laughs> Which, yeah, it's a different. Focus. Yeah, it cracks me up. So anyhow, Zo, you ran across the United States of America. I did. Yeah. No, you were you you did this unsupported as well, right? Correct. I had all my stuff in a in a baby stroller. Right. So you weren't doing this. Uh, you know, lounging around in a Winnebago. <laughs> no, I didn't. I had, uh, my parents came for about a week and they biked alongside me, but no, I didn't have, I didn't go back to the trailer after I ran. What, um, what was your route? I left from Huntington beach, which I guess is a common, common launch spot for people that run across the country. And then I finished in Charleston, South Carolina. Huh. So pretty Southern route yeah. South of the Rockies. Yeah. Most people um, aim for like New York city. Yeah, I well, I love Charleston. So yeah, <laughs> I wanted it to be a city I really love to to motivate me. And you were unsupported. When did you start? Did you start in April, May? In January. January. Yeah, January. 8th. So you were crossing that uh, 
sort of hostile part of the country in midwinter. Yeah. Yeah, unsupported. Do you have a tent with you in your stroller? I did have a tent in my stroller, but actually the funny story is that I only used my tent once um, because what, what just started to happen is at first I would stop and ask people, can I camp in your yard or in your, because there's a lot of ranches yeah. out that way. Um, and a lot of them would be families or just couples that were like, you're a, a 23-year-old girl running alone, I think. Like, as long as you're not, you know, a serial killer, you can come on in and have dinner and stay in our spare bedroom. Yeah. So that was kind of incredible. And then the people I stayed with would just kind of call ahead to the next town. So most nights I I had a local family to stay with. That's amazing. So you were actually crossing, you had to cross some mountain pass or multiple mountain passes in in pretty much the dead of winter. Yeah. Well, I passed probably when it was the coldest. I was in... um, Near Ruidoso, New Mexico. Okay, so you did the southern southern route. So you did yeah. the uh, Sierra Nevadas. And I actually had a laugh because I ran through Ruidoso Downs, and it's I guess there's like a little ski town there, but there was no snow anywhere on the mountains. And it was, I don't know, I guess it was February. So they told me they were having a very mild winter, so I guess I was thankful for that. Yeah, so you didn't have to do the Rockies proper. You went a little south of there. Which yeah. uh, which helps because you could you could end up like the Donner Party. Yeah, I know. Yeah. <laughs> Good. Thank goodness I didn't. And how did you how did you get enough food into your body with just a stroller? Gas stations became my best friend. No, it's the the food selection's horrible <laughs> at gas stations. My staple food that was not say runner's food was. I would buy a bag of tortillas and I had peanut butter and I would just make peanut butter on tortillas throughout the whole run. But I did, I had a cooler with me that I rigged onto my stroller and I'm a big, like I love fruit. So somehow I managed the whole time to always have like apples and watermelon and pineapple with me. Yeah. Well, fruit's good for that. That's one of the things I've realized, you know, just recently is that most of the um, power bar gel stuff is mental. And you can get the same energy level for racing from brute. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, there were a few times, I guess, when you know how it is as a runner. You just sometimes don't want to eat because you just you're running and you don't want to put stuff in your body. Um, and I think that's when gels are good because it's they don't re- taste very good, but it's you know a quick thirty seconds of suffering, and then you don't really feel like you've just put an apple or a couple pounds of watermelon in your belly. So it's a yeah, little. It's like a food pill. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. That's really amazing. So how long did it take you to get from uh, Huntington Beach to uh, to South Carolina? 119 days, so four months. Four months. Much. So what was your, your miles a day that you were shooting for? I actually started with the goal of 25 miles a day. And then once I hit Texas, the towns were so far apart that I just was doing like 30, between 30 and 40 miles a day. So by the time I finished, it was like 35 was, it was almost, it was easy, but my body certainly like built up from 25 to 35 miles a day. So most of the people I talked to, and you and, I, you and I were laughing about this, it's really not that in common to talk to somebody in our world who's run across the United States, I mean, <laughs> which yeah, which is amazing. Um, yeah, like that. it's, I when I first started, I thought I was kind of crazy and I only knew one other person who had done it and he was sort of my well if he can do it I can do it and then I just 
now it's like I'm here about and someone else every day. It's not it's like, oh yeah, that's the usual, just running across the country. What either drove you or pushed you or pulled you out there to do this? Honestly, I mean, I just, I love running. Uh, I've been a runner for, I guess, not too long, maybe five years. And I don't know, it was just one one week uh, down in Richmond, Virginia, where I live now, and I had gotten some really awesome runs in. And it was that time when the weather changed, when it's springtime, and I can never sleep during the springtime because I'm so excited to wake up the next day and have it be beautiful weather and get outside. And I couldn't sleep all week, and so one night... Like three in the morning, I just decided to take my bike and bike to Williamsburg, which is like a 60 mile bike ride. So I did that and I stayed with some couch surfers and then I biked back the next day. And I only went with like a water bottle and a windbreaker. And I got back and I was like, you know, if that was so easy and I didn't even plan it. And I went in the middle of the night and I didn't even bring tubes for my bike. It, it was a little ridiculous, but. So I got back and I was just like, you know, if I could be outside all day, every day and somehow make that my life for a period of time, I want to do it. And I just started talking to people about it. And one of my friends knew someone who had run across the country. And that's kind of where the motivation came for that. Right. So a lot of times, you know, there's different categories of folks, right? Some of these folks are running for some cause. You know, they're trying to gain awareness. Running's a very selfish sport in some ways, Right. So I think a lot of yes. cases we go out and do these things, no matter what we say, we do them for ourselves. Yes. And it's we do them because there's there's something driving us to do them, you know, something that's missing or, or or something emotional or you know, there's something that drives us to go do these things. And it's just so uh, relieving to be out there and 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 doing it and getting it done. I mean, what was there anything like that for you? Yeah, it's funny actually. Just my. My blog post that I wrote last night was about why we get into running, but then what keeps us running. And I think running is so simple, but it's so, the rewards that you get from it, it's so varying depending on the stage in your life. And I, I guess the interesting thing is that as we evolve the running, whatever running gives us, it changes with us as well. I don't know. I just love the sense of freedom, the sense of I'm out here running, doing exactly what I want to be doing right now, seeing exactly what I want to be seeing, thinking my thoughts. I think it's a rare chance in life where we're doing absolutely exactly what we want to do and nothing more. So in a way, it sort of simplifies everything, right? Yeah, immensely. It just boils everything down. You don't have concerns for the future. You don't worry about the past. My least favorite question when I was running is, the reporters would always ask me like mid run. So what's next? And it just would frustrate me because it's, that's such a, a societal question. Always like, what's next? What's next? What are your plans? And it's, it's like, I'm running across the country. That, that <laughs> I don't know what's next or what was this today is today. And that's all I need right now. Yeah. What, what's next is waking up tomorrow and doing it again. Exactly. Yeah. So you know, most people I talk to do this, they have sort of an arc across the country where it starts out okay, then it gets really difficult for a little while, and then your body sort of figures it out and it gets easier towards the end. What did you find? Um, yeah, definitely something similar. I think the first week I was so, I had so much adrenaline that I was 
just so ready to, to be running and not planning things behind a computer that the first week was awesome. And I, it just like, I got lost on my second day and ran 10 extra miles. And then I like went on a dead end. Like so many things happened that first week, but I was just rolling with it. And then the second and the third week were yeah. miserable. Yeah. So far. And like, if my feet were just swelling to ridiculous proportions and I couldn't get them to swell down. And, uh, like, you know, every, it seemed like every road had a re- just severely angled shoulder or no shoulder or the police kept stopping me. And so I think the week two and week three were pretty rough. And then it kind of evened out. And then once I hit East Texas, it was just kind of like just rolling with it. Just, it, it got a lot easier. It felt easier. Right. Yeah. And so you hit some low points where you felt like uh, maybe walking away from it. I never felt like walking away from it. I just felt there were times when it was like, when will I finish? Not not necessarily yeah. will I finish, but uh, okay, is, is the 25 mile goal a day really realistic? There was one day where I broke my hamstring actually playing soccer with some kids at night. And the next morning, I couldn't run because I had hurt myself playing soccer. And I had to walk the whole 25 miles. And that was really a discouraging day for me. Uh, but I think it's not – I knew I would do it. I just guess it was more like, oh, will I be sort of on this rough schedule that I've set out for myself? Or will I be behind or ahead? Yeah, it's good in the, what it teaches your brain to think in very long time periods. It's sort of like time travels, you know, you're making your brain. Once you've run across the country, everything else seems slow. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, definitely. I agree with that. Yes. As a 23-year-old woman, you talked about it. You must have got pulled over by police like six times a day. Yeah. And was... why are you out here? You're crazy. The risk. You're going to die. Yeah. Well, and I, most people thought that I had a child in my stroller. <laughs> call the police and then the police would come and then I would have to go through it with them and sometimes they would say well you can't run on this road or like there was one road I got just like escorted the police officer was like no you and your stroller are getting in the car now like I'll drive you out so I had to drive like run extra miles that day because he wouldn't let me in this kind of like canyon place yeah. and on my third to last day I got pulled over on this road very low traffic, but no shoulders on this road in South Carolina. And I explained to the police officer what I was doing, and he wrote me a ticket. <laughs> he just was not having it. He, I, I, don't, I don't know if he understood what it means to be, you know, like 80 miles away from finishing a 3,000-mile run. But he, he wrote me out a ticket for, I don't even know what it was for, but just being on that road and not supposed to be walking on that road. <laughs> Yeah, well, you can't, you can't, society's still there, I guess. You can't extract yourself from that. So when, when you and I started talking on, uh, on Twitter last week, the reason I I saw your website and I saw that you had done this, uh, you know, 18 months ago, I thought it'd be interesting to ask you what your perspective is now after 18 months, you know, and, and where does that leave you at 23 years old having run across the country? It's tough. I think after I finished, I didn't quite know how to get back to life. 
So I actually went to Europe for the summer and I ended up with a friend in Germany who was working on a tour of Germany and I traveled with him and he worked and I got to see the cities. So in six weeks, we went to a new city every day. And by the end of that, I calculated, and then I went and worked in Italy after that at a traveling summer camp. And by the end of it, I worked out that I had slept in like 400 different cities in the last year and a couple of months. So then I had to come back, you know, to the States and figure out what to do with my life. And, you know, I have a college degree and I've done this and it's like, what next? And I think the, you know, the what next question, it's very difficult after because you know what you're capable of and you know what life is capable of being. And you have to come back into society and try to either accept that you have to sacrifice some of that awesome feeling to have a job and your responsibilities, or you have to work very hard to somehow make a life for yourself or a lifestyle that allows you to feel that, that you're reaching your potential that way. Sure. Sure. I can just picture you sitting across the, uh, the desk from some, uh, couch potato bureaucrat in a job interview, you know, so what, so what's your experience? Well, you know, I ran across the country and slept in 400 different beds in Europe, you know? Yeah. It's just, it's hard because you know, you're just so acutely aware you've lived for the, your 3000 miles across the country. You've lived every day, like so aware of what you're doing that, when you finish, you're just, you have an entirely new set of standards for yourself and an like entirely new perspective on life, but society hasn't necessarily changed. And, you know, my student loans have not disappeared. <laughs> and so you have to come back and find a way to at least make sure part of your day or part of your week or an extended period of time is dedicated to, you know, seeking out that awesome feeling and getting to the top of yourself because if you don't acknowledge it you'll either lose that kind of like that spunk you have to do these things or you'll just it's just depressing so <laughs> yeah so but the other hand you can look at it as a you know here's my starting point which is mm -hmm. 10,000 miles better than everybody else my age's starting point right yeah so all yeah. you've done is made yourself unemployable which <laughs> wow. which isn't necessarily a bad thing you just have to create a niche for yourself that, like you said, allows your passion to overlap your uh, profession. And you're just going to have to, you know, work, work to find out what that is. Right. Because going back into the, the workforce as a as a zombie worker, you know, it that's not that's not I don't think that's a good option for you. So there's good. You should read uh, Chris uh, Gillibro's book called uh, The Art of Nonconformity. That's a good one for your situation. I'm a book guy. Oh, I, I, I'm a book girl, so I'll check it out. <laughs> yeah. So uh, he's uh, he's one of those people who is uh, unemployable as well. But he's rich, so there's a, there's a difference there. Yeah, there's a difference between him and I. But I will I will find it. I mean, I'm I'm writing an outdoor column for kind of like an adventure travel lifestyle magazine right now, and my I think my run across the country is what earned me that job. You know, I'm getting there. Yeah, I'm, I, like I said, you should see it as uh, you're starting at a you know a higher level than uh, your <laughs> peers, right? So this is all all valuable. You just have to figure out how to fit it into that into that point. So what's what's your best story from the road? And it must be really good now because you've had 18 
months to practice telling this story. So you must tell it really well now. Oh, gosh, I don't know. Yeah, I guess. But there's so many that I never really picked the same one. Yeah, I think that the overall feeling, it's so hard to pick one one story. But I guess there, there was a certain day in New Mexico where I had stayed with my uncle in Phoenix, um, Arizona. And this was just like at the Arizona-New Mexico border. And he had come out to help me or like to drop me off at my starting point. And I no, I guess I was still in Arizona at this point, close to New Mexico, one day away from New Mexico. And the police told me I couldn't run the certain route. And the mayor of the county told me I couldn't. And all these people were like, no, this is a trucker's route up to these mines and the mountains. You absolutely cannot run it. Like you will get hit. And not only that, but you'll be endangering all these other people. And I called another person I knew who had run a similar route across the country. And they said, no, yeah, it's tough. I did it. And I was like, okay, well, I have my answer. I'm going to do it. And so I took off that day. And I mean, there's just, the run was amazing physically, the landscape. It was almost like a, a video game. If that, it's a horrible analogy to make, but it was just like different, all these like different levels and different aspects of the run, tunnels and bridges and mining quarries and just all these truckers actually beeping and like giving me peace signs and thumbs up and I get to the top of the kind of the peak of the run before I start running back down and it's a tiny little community it's called top of the world and it's like a population of like 100 and it starts to hail at the top and it's like really misty and foggy and you just have that kind of feeling when you're at the summit of a mountain and it's you know, you can't really, you're like totally disoriented and you're not sure how high up you are and the air feels a little different. And just that feeling at the top of it just culminating because a lot of people said I couldn't run across the country. And then this specific day, they told me I couldn't run that route. And I did it alone and just getting to the top, feeling like just absolutely at peace with myself, but like incredibly invincible at the same time. It's a unique balance of feelings. I think that doesn't happen too often because they're kind of invincible. It's very energetic feeling and peaceful. You know, it's calm, but... Sure. So you had almost an epiphany up there in this place with the weather change. I, I've had the same experience myself on a on a really cool run. And, uh, yeah, I, I know exactly what you're saying. Yeah, it just it feels awesome. And then I got to run down the mountain. That's awesome. I'd ask you what's next, but you don't like that question. Well, I am planning to run around Iceland this summer. So. Run around Iceland. I don't know what's the next question. Is it going to be road or trail or? Well, there's a perimeter road, but then there's like a big chunk of Iceland in the northwest, kind of north, central north, that is not on the perimeter road. So I think it's going to be a mix of, of road and and roving. So you're going to uh, need to bring some uh, snowshoes or are you going to do it? I don't. Th- it will be summertime, so I don't think... I have to check on that specific part of Iceland that kind of juts out into Arctic Ocean. Um, but I don't think that I'll need snowshoes. Oh, okay. Well, that sounds very interesting. Sounds like you'll have some more epiphanies out there. But I think the, the lesson learned is, you know, do what you do what you think you can do and don't let other people tell you you can't, right? We all can do very good things, amazing things. So. All right. So if you had to uh, give people, uh, you know, your top three words of advice what would they be 
uh, they would be exactly that. You can do anything. Like I'm not an elite runner. I don't have 30 hours in my day. I have the same amount of time as everyone else. I have, you know, I'm not getting paid to run. I'm not really winning races. And I, whatever dream we have, I mean, absolutely, you can do it. And it's, it's worth it to listen to your parents or your teachers or your friends or whoever is telling you that you can be or do whatever you want and to just kind of get your revenge on the people that tell you that you can't do it by doing it just by living well and by doing following your dream and that's the best the best thing you can you can do in your life all right that's awesome so i'm gonna let you go send me any uh link or anything else you want to uh have in the show notes and it was great talking with you thank you very much it's fun all right ciao ciao i can do anything i can be anything i am not afraid Hitch up your tights, because now we're going to talk tips and tricks for endurance sports. Four reasons to embrace heart rate training. The beat goes on. I thought it would be appropriate to do a bit of explanation around heart rate training. I know I have thrown around phrases like zone four and max heart rate without really ever defining them or explaining why they're useful. Heart rate training is using your heart rate as a measurement of effort. When you are out running or biking or anything else, you might have a training schedule and a training plan. And instead of being based on pace or speed or perceived effort, it will instead be based on heart rate. Why is this useful? Well, first, heart rate is a relative measure of effort and fitness. Your pace and your perceived effort can change on a day-to-day basis as a natural outcome of your basic body cycles and your environment. Heart rate allows you a way to measure effort independently of performance. You will have days where you are sick or tired or jet-lagged, and your pace and perceived effort will not be useful measurements when completing a planned workout. Heart rate is going to be a more consistent measurement and therefore allow you to get the most out of your workouts, regardless of your body cycles and circumstance. And number two, heart rate measures effort consistently as you get older. When I was younger, I knew my paces, and I knew what they were for different workouts. I knew my speed pace, my tempo pace, and my long run pace. I did not measure my heart rate. As I've gotten older, I can't count on my pace being a consistent measurement. But regardless of the pace my heart rate is going to be a more true measurement of effort. I've gotten to the point where I don't even have pace displayed on my Garmin. Pace is a distraction for me now. All I really need to know is that I'm executing the workout in the best effort level zone to maximize the benefit of that workout. Pace will follow, whatever it is. Number three, heart rate training allows you to find zone two. Now, there are five heart rate zones, and most of us only use one or two of them. I would never have discovered the benefit of training at a low heart rate level if I hadn't started measuring it. Most of the normal pace training runs that you do are in zone three. By measuring heart rate, I was able to slow it down and practice running efficiently at a low effort level. This practice taught me things about my form and efficiency that I would have otherwise never learned. It also built a new form of base fitness 
that allowed me to race much more efficiently. It's hard work to run slow, and unless you use heart rate, you really can't get there. And finally, heart rate training helps you to focus on your mechanics and your form. When you know that you're in, you are in the appropriate effort zone based on your heart rate, you can stop worrying about pace and focus on your mechanics. You learn how to hold the effort level steady while improving the turnover, the form, and the efficiency, and this in turn quickens the pace. If you focused on pace, you would have to back into the form and the efficiency. By using heart rate, you can build form and efficiency first and then ratchet up to get the speed you need. So hope that helps. The woods are lovely, dark, and deep, but I have promises to keep and miles to go before I sleep and miles to go before I sleep. Okay, my friends, that is the end, the pointy business end of episode 3-252 of the Run Run Live podcast. Next episode, which I'm going to target for the end of the month, I didn't say which month, (laughs) we have a great interview with Dick Hoyt. Yeah, I got Dick Hoyt of Team Hoyt. And you'll learn all about the story of how Rick and Dick have made history by competing and have changed many lives over the last 30 years in our sport. And as you know, I'm collecting for Team Hoyt this year for the Boston Marathon, and we'll start actively soliciting as the new year progresses. Please go to my website at runrunlive.com and contribute 10, 20, or however much you're comfortable with to help me help Team Hoyt with their continuing mission. And if you and if I have ever given you a nugget of value or joy, here's a chance to pay it back and forward. Thank you very much. And as usual, I've saved the best for last. Well, not really. Over the holidays, we found that poor Buddy, the old wonder dog, had a suspicious tumor on his belly, and I had him in so the vet could remove it today. And I was just on the phone with her. He's got he, you know, he's got miscellaneous lumps all over him. It's it's all perfectly normal. They're known as fatty tumors, but this one seemed different. And I just talked to her, and he did really well, and she's 99% sure that this tumor was benign as well. So he'll be off his feet for a week or so, which will make him cranky. So you can say your prayers for Buddy the Wonder Dog. He's in really good shape right now because he's been doing these three longish trail runs with me every week. Out in the cold. He loves that. Our friend Eric, who you remember, successfully conquered Leadville last year or this year, was, I guess that would be last year now, was nagging me to read my second book of short stories, The Midpacker's Guide to the Galaxy, into audio. And I told him, no, <laughs> that's a huge time sink and no one buys them, so I'm not doing it. But we made a deal that if he got $100 of venture capital, I'd do it, and each investor would get an audiobook. So, of course, I created a Kickstarter project, which which was kind of fun. And, of course, the, being the tenacious bastard that he is, he made his quota in less than 24 hours, so now I have to do that. If you're interested in the Kickstarter project, check the show notes for the link. I'll probably I'll try to put it up on my website as well, and I'll start recording those stories and send them out to the investors as they come out of production. 
I've got to wrap things up for tonight because I need to go over to the gym and get my treadmill time in before the 5 o'clock p.m. New Year's resolutionaries clog the place up. And it's a great time of year. It's a time of rebirth and opportunity. I hope you take advantage of that. So as you suck in those frigid gulps of winter air, rejoice. And I'll see you out there. Thank you for riding along. My name is Chris, and that is CYKT Russell on all the social media and email systems. The podcast is free for you because I like doing it. So it is only your internal moral compass that will compel you to let me know what you think by leaving a comment on my website at www.runrunlive.com. Or even better, if you want to change my world... Check out my books in regular Kindle or audio format. The links are on my website and in the show notes. And if you want to be kept in the loop, you can sign up for the email list on runrunlive.com as well. I will send you the show notes. So remember, love life, do epic stuff, and I'll see you out there.